Welcome to the Physician Wellness Lounge hosted by Dr. Yashoda Baskar, who is board certified in internal medicine and a diplomat of the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. She is also an ICF certified life transformation coach and a certified money coach. This podcast features physicians who discuss wellness and balance within and outside of medicine. It covers a wide range of topics around this theme with some wonderful advice and practical tips that you can start incorporating right away to improve the happiness quotient in your life. We hope you enjoy this episode and please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it. And now here's your host, Dr. Yashoda. everybody. Today I bring Dr. Jyoti Patel, who is a lovely, lovely woman. We've been sort of chatting offline before I hit the record button. So Dr. Patel is board certified in internal medicine, pediatrics, as well as integrative medicine. She also is a functional medicine practitioner. And uh, Dr. Patel has worn many, many hats throughout her career. So welcome, Jyoti, to my podcast. I'm so glad you agreed to do this. Thank you, Yashoda. I'm so happy to finally meet you and get to talk to you. I've seen you online and just admired everything you put out there. So thank you for sharing your energy with me today. Oh, thank you. Um, so Dr. Patel, I would love to get our interview started by having you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through medicine. So please call me Jyoti. And uh, so I grew up in Surat, India. And then I came here um, in my teen years, lived in a small town in Southern Illinois. My dad was a solo family practitioner. My mom was his office manager, biller, front desk person, housekeeper, everything, right? So we grew up in a small town where he was, um, you know, the doctor in town. And uh, that was good. It was a good example for me to see what that looked like. And there was a lot of small town charm, um, main streets, vinyl siding homes, overgrown sidewalks and, you know, main, you know, just, just nothing like small town. We had a Walmart in town. I think that was a big thing. <laughs> and uh, so I went to med school and I went to college in Illinois. And then I finished my residency in Florida just because I needed to get out of the cold. And uh, I did my internal medicine and pediatrics residency down there. Mm -hmm. And then my sister and I are very close and she moved to Phoenix. So that's where my journey starts in Phoenix and been here in practice for 18 years now. And uh, I, again, followed my dad's footsteps. I moved to a small town uh, just outside of Phoenix where I was the only pediatrician and the only female internist in town. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I was a solo practitioner doing primary care. I was doing both inpatient and outpatient and uh, doing my own circumcision, seeing the newborns, and then, you know, dealing with all my Medicare geriatric patients and, you know, all of it in between. Um, and so, I mean, it was a great time. I loved what I did. I found that I was under a rainbow um, on the far corner of the earth where no one can touch me. Mm -hmm. I could just practice medicine the way I wanted. I could spend time with my patients. I could get to know every generation from great grandparents to grandchildren to great grandchildren. Um, I'd see people in the street, they'd recognize me, I'd go to the grocery store, kids would wonder why I was there when they knew <laughs> me as somebody in the office. Um, 
It was good. It was good, Yashoda. I felt like, you know, that time in my life was really um, pleasant and I felt very loved. I felt very needed and uh, I felt fulfilled. I felt like my purpose had been met just taking care of those people in that town and Mm. doing primary care at its best. Um, and I worked by myself. Quaint and old fashioned, <laughs> right? It's like it's bringing back nostalgia for me. Like that is how we all envisioned, I think, our medical practices to be as, you know, little girls growing up in India. I love that. You painted such a beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a really lovely, I was very blessed. I was very blessed to have the community that I had. And and, uh, and and bringing medicine to them in the way that I felt was needed, which was a more personalized approach to, right. to medicine and being able to know their backstory, know who's, who's getting married, who had a grandchild, you know, what was going on, who had a loss. And then having the luxury of not having a boss, you know, I, did, I never liked having a boss, first of all. So mm-hmm. um, being able to spend as much time as I needed or reschedule people or get people in or squeeze people in or do whatever I needed to do to get give and deliver the best care. Mm -hmm. And I was also really lucky to have a wonderful staff that stayed with me for 12 years. And, you know, just knew what I wanted to provide in the town. And we just had a really wonderful run until things started to change, you know, Um, managed care started to really affect the, the practice, the bottom line, the paperwork. And as a primary care physician, I was not being reimbursed really for the service I provided. It was more about the rules that I followed, the metrics that I turned in, the 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 you know the the levels that I reached. Um, all those things were being measured, and and it was taking away from the time that I could spend with my patients. Mm-hmm. And so I was sacrificing my self care time to make up for administrative time. Mm-hmm. And I slowly started to feel the effects on my health and my mental wellness and my clarity and my vision and my purpose. And I was finding myself sort of dreading the work days because I was so, so overwhelmed right. by all the commitments I had. I would be up till midnight, two in the morning, doing charts, doing triage, filling out paperwork. Um, and that's not anybody else's problem. Clearly I could have had other solutions, but you know, it just was a place where I needed to have um, a change. Mm. And I, I was, lucky enough that one of my friends who's also a physician who was going through the same thing found the fellowship down in Tucson the integrative medicine fellowship and encouraged me to look into it and I was like okay one more thing I've got a husband two kids a solo practice (laughs) and a fellowship well you know but okay bring it on you know bring it on and so I started doing the fellowship but I think it was coming from a place of striving like we all physicians can kind of relate to one more badge of honor one more one more certificate on the wall one more thing that I can um be proud of Mm. or be seen for um, I really hadn't entered the fellowship with this mindset of self-care. I, I entered it into this month. Okay, this is maybe one more thing I can do. And I think that's okay because it really allowed me to then be in a space where I could do more self-care. Right. And yeah. And then, you know, I was, it was funny. I had this, had this moment and everybody has a moment in their life where there's this fork in the road with them. And I had this young Girl Scout. She's 10 years old. She had to do a project for her Girl Scout for role model project she wanted to be a pediatrician so her mother asked if I would uh, you know be okay with being interviewed and I said sure Mm -hmm. and she asked me all the same questions that we get why did you choose medicine how long did you go to school how hard was it this and that Mm 
Then she asked me a question, what do you do for community service? And I was like, wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I give talks and I donate my time sometimes. And, you know, like I didn't have a clear picture of what my purpose was. And we talk about this, you know, in terms of your dharma, right? So what's your purpose? And I started to think about it and she got me thinking a lot. And I was like, okay, what is my vision? What am I trying to do? What is this whole, what does this mean for me? Like, what is being a physician, being a doctor, being here to heal people? What does that really mean? You know, and I'm I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk, right? I'm not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. And so, I thought, you know, what would be great is if I could have a project that really allows me to grow with this purpose. And that's where that community garden project came about. Mm. And I thought about it in a weird way, like, wouldn't that be great Mm. if I can create a community garden in this small town where people can gather in a safe place where all generations can get together and get to know their family and their neighbors, where they can put their hands in the soil and connect to the earth. Mm-hmm. where they can work on restoring and repairing the damage that we create on earth. We could do composting. We could do rain catch. We could, you know, have a kitchen where we teach people how to cook. And, you know, wouldn't that be a great vision? Mm-hmm. And so that is where it started. And I thought, okay, I have no money. <laughs> I, have, I have no resources. I have no land. What the heck is I going to do, right? Like you come with this idea, but you have no idea how you're going to manifest it. And I thought, you know, I just check it out. And I went to the town and I talked to them about a vacant lot. And they said, mm, okay, we, you have to do it all. We don't have any resources for it. So if you want to build something, that's on you. Mm. So I started doing town hall meetings in my office. And I started inviting farmers and gardeners and retirees and you know builders and carpenters and said, what would you think about a community garden? And as we had more of these town hall meetings, I got so much more momentum mm. of like-minded people. And I feel that there's a, you know, there's synchronicity and timing with everything. And this yeah. was the right time in this town for this to happen. Mm. And so all the right people came out of the woodworks. I went to the town council. I did a PowerPoint presentation, presented it to them. They gave us the lot for a dollar a year. Mm. And so now we have a two and a half acre community garden. We have over 400 garden members. We have 120 raised organic beds. Wow. We have, yeah, we donate to the food bank. We have kids learn a gardening program. We have beehives. We make our honey. Uh, we have composting. We have a greenhouse. We have an outdoor kitchen where we teach food to farm to table or yeah. garden to table. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a good, like for me, it's been a soul project. You know, yeah. I feel like it's, allowed me to sort of revive my, my passion for medicine again. And now I'm like, okay, this is what medicine is. It's not just the exam room and the papers that they ask me to push and the metrics I need to fill out. It's the impact that I can make in the lives of the people that I touch. Absolutely. And now I can speak from authenticity. Yeah. I love that. I love how I I just, uh, the few points that came up was, you know, the whole idea of synchronicity and this coming together of community. I think we have become such an individualistic society and those social connections, and especially obviously around the time of COVID, I think has really, really, you know, brought it to the fore how much as humans, we need to connect with others. And this beautiful project where children learn that, 
that, you know, the eggplants don't come from a box in Safeway, <laughs> right? Like they actually come off this thing that they plant with their own hands. And the joy on children's faces when they see things grow is just absolutely so wonderful. So, and you did that in spite of having this business or this practice that was draining you. So that's kudos to you, Jyoti. That's amazing. It's what kept me going. I think if I didn't have a project like that and I just had 10 or 20 more years of the grind in front of me, then I can see very easily how you can kind of spiral down the drain and become, you know, apathetic um, and disconnected from your patients. So this has made, you know, it's exciting. I could tell every patient that walked in, like what I was doing with the community garden and, you know, and um, promoted everywhere. Like, oh, this is what we're doing. Come join us. Come join us. And so it's been, it's been good. And, you know, and from that came other things that I realized that medicine requires more tools. Mm. Um, We're very sort of um, narrow in our scope of what health is and you know, and we talked earlier about the fate of primary care and how tragic it is that there are less and less medical students picking primary care as the choice of uh, practice. Um, they're going to subspecialties right. and they, because the money is there, because the esteem, the, the prestige is there, the recognition is there. Primary care doctors basically have become pencil pushers, note takers, uh, dumping grounds, you know, anytime a subspecialist doesn't want to deal with an issue, go see your primary. Right. Every time the insurance company needs an issue, go see your primary. Every time an ER doctor discharges a patient, go see your primary. So the primary care physician has sort of been burdened with a stacking load of so many roles, more roles than they wanted to take on that the real role, which is the one where they're supportive and they're present and they're doing continuity of care and they're good listeners and they're intuitive healers. That's been sort of pushed out the window because they're exhausted. They have 15 minutes to do their magic and then move on to the next room. And as we go further and further into COVID, we're going to see a a large influx of mental illness, uh, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. We're already seeing it. And and unfortunately the primary care physician is going to again be burdened with the task of being the mental health provider because the healthcare system lacks the infrastructure to provide the foundation to health, which is giving them time, giving the primary care physician time to really get to know their patients and heal them from a preventative standpoint, to have the supportive ancillary providers, such as a psychologist and a nutritionist or a social worker, to to help navigate that social environment, which we know is so important in developing children and adults. We just don't have that social structure in place. I was reading in the ACP uh, just earlier today that less than 5.4% of healthcare dollars are spent in primary care. This is a third less than other countries. So it's a shameful thing that we spend more money on uh, rescue care, uh, end of life resuscitative, uh, you know, measures, um, drugs, pharmaceuticals, uh, those some of them are, are necessary, but right. the largest piece of the pie should be primary care and prevention. And that's just my belief. Absolutely. I agree with everything you've said 100%. Um, you know, and that's why things like integrative medicine and, you know, my own specialty, lifestyle medicine, needs more bandwidth because we start with 
the very basics, right? The very basics. And I think you mentioned this earlier. We're not a healthcare system anymore. We're a sick care system. You know, we wait, we're, we become reactive. We are not as proactive as we can be. There needs to be so much more education and voices in the field of how do we keep you healthy rather than, oh, when you get this disease, how do we maintain and manage it? Whether it's diabetes, hypertension, obesity, these chronic illnesses are destroying our GDPs, destroying our, you know, the, the spirit of our, of our physicians, but also our patients. We are not giving them the care that they deserve because the whole focus has shift, shifted to uh, being reactive. Um, so, so Jyoti, before we started recording, you also were, you touched upon how reimbursements change with managed care. And that's just another factor that's squeezing primary care. And, you know, with student loans, just continuing to grow more and more um, and their lack, lack of respect and autonomy. I mean, all these other factors that are happening, we're having more and more physicians choose non-primary care sort of, um, you know, specialties. What did you do in your own sort of personal practice to um, to overcome these barriers to the kind and you know to basically get back to a sustainable practice? Yes, so a really important topic to talk about because I think the, the misnomer is that physicians make a lot of money and that you know they're draining the system. In fact, if you looked at how much the insurance company or Medicare actually reimburses your doctor for a visit, you would be shocked um, at how little it is. You probably spend more getting a haircut or at a nice meal. Um, and, and your doctor is providing you health and gets reimbursed less for their time. And in a small practice, as you know, I ran my own practice for almost two, two decades. And as a solo practitioner, I was also in charge of making sure that my expenses were down and that I was always in charge of making sure that we were doing as, as frugal as we can on the back end because the reimbursements were so little that our margins were always very thin month to month. And you and I had this conversation about hiring physicians in the practice versus mid-levels like PAs and nurse practitioners. And the reality in primary care is because we're at the bottom of the totem pole in medicine and pediatrics and primary care practices, we don't have the money to hire qualified doctors in our practice, a lot of times we have to hire mid-levels to see our patients. Patients would get angry. They would say, I only want to see the doctor, but there's only one of me and there's like 9,000 in our roster. So how am I possibly uh, going to be able to touch all of those lives when you know, I need to see the numbers? I need to see the number of visits. It's a fee-for-service uh, system. So you only get paid when you see the person. You're not getting paid because you did a good job. So the system is broken. The reimbursements for primary care are slim. Running a primary care practice has become taxing, if not impossible. A lot of these small practices are being swallowed up by corporations and hospitals, not because the physician was greedy or the physician was lazy, but the, the, the cards were stacked against them. Absolutely. They couldn't keep their practice running. They couldn't meet their overhead. Right. They could have drained all their savings into their, into their practice and still not made ends meet. Right. So they're having to give up control. They're having to go and work for a company or a hospital system because the reimbursements don't allow a primary care physician to have financial security or the ability to run their own practice at this point. 
So you asked me what I have done um, and I did transition away. I had to make a decision. One is, do I stay in the system and continue to provide subpar uh, service? 15 minute visits, uh, impersonal prescriptions, a quick fix, a quick band-aid for those who are coming in? Or do I speak my truth, hold the line, and practice medicine in the way that I see medicine should be practiced. Give patients the time, the ear, the attention, and the care, not just to give them another prescription, but to find out what the root cause of their symptoms are. Find the, the imbalances that are causing them to be ill, and then give them a comprehensive plan to take back control of their health right? Using all the tools in my tool belt. And this may be some conventional medicine, but it might be education, or it might be nutrition information, or I might refer them to my mental health specialist, or I might suggest an acupuncturist or massage therapist or physical therapist, or, you know, their preacher, their spiritual guide, any piece of it that helps support them. And, and I start where the patient is, right? So I always start with the patients. I don't dictate care, I listen to see what needs balance. And then I guide them gently to find the resources to help them get that balance. And then support them along the way with, with any information and knowledge that I can, even if it's diagnostics, even if it's conventional medicine, all the tools in my tool belt. And I did, you know, I mentioned MBSR, mindful-based stress reduction. Again, that's another tool in my tool belt so that when I feel that somebody's underlying concerns are stress-related, then I move everything else that's physical out of the picture and I start working on them in their mental and spiritual realm. And that also is taboo in medicine. Uh, we don't talk about the physical, the mental. We deal, we, we siphon that off to, you know, right. somebody else. Right. Um, and, and we also siphon our organs. Yes. Right? We siphon our <laughs> organs into these silos. Like you don't have a heart problem. So therefore I cannot talk to you right. or I cannot treat you. And I feel like that's a disservice to the patient. Absolutely. You know, they're not, they're not living in silos. They are living in with their environment. They're living with the people that they live with, the work that they have to do, the food that they eat, yes. uh, the environment outside, the toxins that they're absorbing, everything impacts their health. And if we as physicians aren't intuitive with our healing, we've lost our art. And then we'll be replaced by an artificial intelligent machine that you dial in what your symptoms are and spits back out something nonsense that it has nothing to do with you. So there's something to be said about intuitive medicine that is going to be lost if we go to an algorithm, one for all type of system. And uh, that makes me sad. Oh, so true. You speak such such truth. You know, at one point I was actually thinking this. I'm like, you know, we're already to the point where with like WebMD and, you know, we, we, we refer to it jokingly as Dr. Google, but seriously, it has come to the point where patients can input their symptoms and quote unquote, make their own diagnoses now, whether it's right or wrong. And I was thinking, well, what's left? They might as well order their own goddamn prescriptions. Like, what do they need us for? <laughs> you You're know, so right. But yeah, but, it, but, that, but that human contact, yes. that, that energetic exchange yes. that you have when you touch a patient's hand, yes. when you look at them in the eye, when you are just a quiet observer of their experience, yeah. has so much more healing than any prescription that I can offer. For sure, for sure. And that's what's so sorely lacking in medicine today. You know, when we think about even sort of our quote unquote challenging or difficult encounters, you know, I, I got to the point where I realized it's like, 
you know, it's like a bunch of two-year-olds when you don't give your child enough time and attention because you have seven and a half minutes to solve their 15 problems. Of course, they're going to become like that, right? Like they're scrambling for your attention. And so then it becomes a vicious cycle because very soon you're trying to see 40 patients a day. You're feeling burnt out. They're feeling like they're not getting the care they deserve. And the whole thing is just a, sorry to say, but just a bloody mess. And it seems like there is no effort being made from the quote unquote system to look at this and fix it in any way. And honestly, I think a lot of doctors have just gotten tired of waiting around, right? And being a victim of the system and saying, it's time to take back charge. You know, we're smart, we're intelligent, we're hardworking, we're extremely resilient. So many of us have gone through so much in our life to get to where, you know, where we've gotten to. And the solution lies within us, even within the constraints of what the system is trying to do, it's trying to squeeze us. And yet there are ways to still take back charge. So Jyoti, tell us a little bit about, let's say there are physicians out there who are kind of in the, in the position that you were in several years ago, where you were just like, you know, till two in the morning trying to do things, which is like inhuman to you and to the rest of the world, I'm sorry. And then you decided to step into doing sort of a, a concierge type of practice. So what would be your words of advice to people out there who are looking to sort of go out on their own and, and kind of do their own thing? And we kind of talked about how, you know, as, um, as women of, you know, Asian culture, we are very good at managing how much, like how we manage our money and, you know, because it's important, right? Like this is a business. Yes, it is about taking care of patients, but you're also a business owner and you're an entrepreneur. So give some ideas and tips to people out there who are maybe thinking about doing something, um, like what you're doing, maybe. Yeah. First, I wanna I wanna give a shout out to all the doctors out there that are doing exactly what you said. They're taking back ownership of medicine. Um, they're using social media platforms to educate. Um, they're diversifying their knowledge and taking courses in lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine, functional medicine, anything that increases the palette of of, of treatment options for their patients. And they're not afraid to bring that into the exam room or into their community. So you, I empower you, if you're listening and you're a physician, to find that kind of connection in your um, vicinity. Try to take classes or courses on how you can be a better teacher and educate your patients. Teach them to fish, don't just hand them the fish. Think constantly about how you can make an impact, even a small impact in the population that you serve, wherever you are, even if you're working for the man. Okay, so even if you cannot have your own practice, you're, you're stuck with having a job, you can still make an impact. You can make an impact in the exam room, you can make the impact in your community, you can make an impact on social media, wherever. I, I implore you to, to do this with us so that we can make a difference in this world collectively, okay? Second, if you feel like you've had it with the man and you do wanna start your own practice, I'm telling you, you've got to do it. You've got to. It's not as hard as you think. Once you make that intention that you want to be your own boss, you are already halfway there, okay? All the obstacles that you think about, I don't have money, I don't have place, I don't have knowledge, those things will come, okay? And just like Yoshida and I were talking about, you really want to make sure that you're keeping your overhead really small when you start out, Micro practices are the thing, especially with COVID and telehealth, really on the brink of this huge breakthrough 
you may not even have to take out a brick and mortar. Be creative, go online, see what other doctors are doing. Don't be afraid to ask people like me to support you, to help you, to, to bounce off ideas, to understand what it takes to start a business. You do need a core team of people. You need an accountant, a lawyer, and maybe a practice manager, somebody who can kind of help you get everything in place. If you need insurance, if you're not doing insurance, if you need somebody to help you with marketing, remember that your skill set is medicine and there are people out there that do this better than you. So on those, an energy is a commodity. So if, if you're struggling and spending hours on a Facebook ad, that's not your skill set. Give it up to somebody else, okay? Use that resource to, to get somebody else to do the work for you. You can get cheap labor. I'm all about cheap labor. You can look at online um, independent, you know, people that are looking to do a couple of jobs for you. Be creative. Ask doctors who they're using. Use personal assistance. Use anything to, for those extra work. Have a vision. What is your vision of your clinic or your practice? Who are the people that you want to serve? Right? Do so a little market research. Are there people out there who are looking for your service? Right? Do some networking. Go to other doctors, other specialists, other ancillary people. Tell them who you are. Don't be afraid of doing that. I was. You can't be. You've got to be proud of who you are. Stand up and believe that you're worth it. And then go out and market yourself. Okay? Tell people that you're, you exist. Otherwise, they're not going to know. And then try to save wherever you can. Right? You don't need a 10 phone system. You don't need a chandelier in your waiting room. You don't need a 5,000 square office, okay? Right. I was, for three years, I squatted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I squatted in a cardiologist's office for three years when I started. My mom was on her cell phone taking appointments on her day planner. Okay, I had one medical assistant. We did that for three years. I was okay with that right. because sometimes humility is really important. As doctors, you are the asset. Yes. People want to see you. You will be enough in a hole in the wall, on the backside of a you know, shopping plaza, and people are gonna find you, right. okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Just get started, put one foot in front of the other, start it, see what it looks like, see what it feels like, and then keep changing. Don't be afraid to fail, and don't be afraid to start again. And, and if you made a bad decision, you bought like $10,000 worth of equipment and it didn't do you any good, water over the ducks back. Keep moving forward, we've all made those mistakes, right? Okay? Keep learning from those mistakes. And, and again, you are not alone. There are lots of us out there that own our own businesses. And we had to start somewhere too. Right. And we are here as a network to help you build that dream practice of yours, whatever it looks like. Beautiful. So well said. Um, I, love, I love all the advice that you gave, Jyoti. It is so true. I think part of the thing is what makes us really good doctors sometimes can be the very things that trip us up, right? Like there's this perfectionism, imposter syndrome. And I tell people, listen, yes, we were taught that we can't make mistakes in medicine because if we made a mistake, somebody could die. On the other hand, when you're an entrepreneur, it is all about failing. It is all about making mistakes. So you have to sort of almost have that two-sided vision as a, you know, be very clear in your mind. If you bought $10,000 worth of equipment that you didn't use, nobody died. Nobody <laughs> died, right? And so when yeah. you say that to yourself, because I get this a lot, you know, when I'm coaching, they're like, I'm so afraid. I'm like, okay, let's just say you did take that step. And that was a wrong step, which I can't tell you if it's right or wrong, right? Because none of us is born with a crystal ball. Sometimes you just have to do it. Is somebody going to die? 
if if somebody's not going to die and it's not immoral or illegal then take that step because you never know that might be the next step that you need to take and if it wasn't you've still learned something from it you know so you're right it's that needing to to just bust out of that fear complex that we have which i completely understand we were trained like that right we were trained that we had to be perfect all the time and to be the top of our class I and mean, all of this craziness which did us very well as physicians but can be the very things that trip us up when we're trying to do something new with creating a practice. And I love what you said about, yes, it is so possible to start a micro practice. I interviewed another doctor uh, a few weeks ago and she started her micro practice for under $8,000. You know, unless you're a specialist, you know, the like dermatology or, you know, you need a lot of equipment, that's a different, you know, that's a different um, animal altogether. But like you said, if it's primary care, if it's internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, you buy secondhand equipment, you know, go on Craigslist, right? And get an autoscope or whatever, like be creative. I love that. I love what you said. Um, I, I just love that. So beautiful. And you clearly have succeeded. You know, you've, you've created the practice of your dreams. You've been able to uh, balance out your life and have this other passion project that you're doing. And you're out there as part of a network helping other physicians um, basically create create a vision for their own medical practice and, and uh, doing it, just doing it. And I think that's the only way to change the system because the system is not going to change for us. Right. <laughs> right? And, my dream, and my dream practice now that I do this is exactly what I envision for healthcare in this country. I have uh, myself as the physician doing the integrative consult. I have a mental health practitioner in the clinic. I have a functional nutritionist in the clinic. I have a classroom that I built into the clinic so that we can have group visits and we can have uh, instructional classes for them in terms of nutrition or sleep or stress or mindfulness. We do regular meditation classes in there every week. Um, so being able to bring in a, a, a whole comprehensive center that truly and genuinely puts the patient in the center of their care. And then they have resources that can help them be their best health and then teach them how they can then take that knowledge and continue to stay healthy, right? We're not trying to tie them and blackmail them to come back every three months for their prescriptions. We're trying to get them off their prescriptions so they can live their best life. That would be my vision for healthcare in the United States when it comes to you know, prevention and early detection and then even reversal of chronic disease. Lovely. I will bring up one question that I think does come up a lot is, um, and maybe you can tell us how this works with um, maybe patients not being willing to pay directly for their care, right? We've, we are in a country that is used to the third party payer system and patients, I know some of them will even complain about a 10 or a $20 copay. What has been your experience around this particular issue that you would like to share with other physicians? Absolutely. And that is a struggle. That is a struggle. We in this country, unfortunately, are materialistic. We will put value in a lot of things rather than ourselves um, and our own healing. And that's just our cultural, uh, you know, belief system. We're all belief. The belief system is just cultural here. Um, so there's just how we place value on things. So I tend to now that I, I do have a concierge practice where people directly pay me for my services. There is no middleman. There is no 10 people between me and my patient. There's no one sending me a letter dictating my terms of care. No one telling me what I can do or can't do for the patient. I am doing it genuinely and 110% for the patient's best interest. 
people come to me because of that now, because they understand that what I'm offering them is by far a hundred times more than what they were getting with their regular care. So part of it is just creating that worth. You have to believe that you're providing worth. First of all, if you're a physician asking for cash for your services, there's a lot of stigma with physicians, uh, you know, choosing a payment of direct pay model. But it, I feel like I'm valuing myself and my services. And it's a, every day I have to meditate on that. Every day I have to undo, unravel that old story that makes me feel shame and guilt for putting worth in who I am. And that's that story, right? How do we feel worthy? We don't feel worthy. That's why we're unwilling to ask. And we're willing to give endlessly because we're constantly seeking to fill that vessel of worthiness. So again, from my own experience, I have to constantly remind myself through meditation that I do and am worthy of of being seen, heard, felt, and validated. And money is simply a commodity that we use to validate things that, val that we value. So when I talk to my patients, I say, this is an investment in your health, right? Like you would invest in anything else. You might invest in a home, in a car, in a nice vacation. Um, this is an investment in your vessel, the vessel you're carrying since birth and the vessel you're going to carry till the end. It's the only vessel that truly matters. And when you take care of this vessel in the best way you can, it's going to serve you. So if you want to invest in your health, it's not about investing in me, it's about investing in your health, then come see me. And these are my fees. And I'm unapologetic when I describe my fees. I don't, I don't have to explain them. I don't have to uh, apologize for them. I simply say, this is what I find is my worth, right? And, and then if the patient, resonates with that that's the other part of it because we're always feeling like we need to please others right we need to be of service to others right we feel like if they don't choose us there's something wrong with us right the other message in meditation i have to tell myself is it wasn't the right fit yeah and so they you know it's not that they didn't want me or need me or i wasn't worthy it just wasn't right for them in this time in this moment yeah right yeah and so by understanding that it was just not the right time and connection, mm. you, you are now free of all those messages in your mind that you need to undercut yourself, you need to discount, you need to give it away for free because no one values anything that's for free. Right. And so even if you gave it away, people wouldn't value it at that point. Right. So my messages start with self-love, yeah. self-acceptance. Create a message that creates self-worth, right. giving yourself permission to let go of those who don't see that worth and serve those who do with a full and open heart. Absolutely. And honestly, you know, Jyoti, if people are still feeling that tug, right, like there are people who literally cannot afford those services, there are other ways to serve the community, right? That's right. Like it doesn't have to be medical care. I mean, maybe that is, I tell you, I have come across more unhappy physicians at FQHC centers than pra practically any other physician, right? And it, and our heart bleeds that things are in a situation where we have patients who are on Medicaid and, you know, they're really, really underserved and the poor, but there also happen to be free clinics. I mean, in, where I worked in Olympia, I know there was a free clinic and many of my doctor friends would go and volunteer there, maybe even two days a week, right? So there, there are ways of giving back to those who are less fortunate, but the only way you can do that is by first filling your cup because if you're out of practice, 
guess what? Then there's nothing left of you to give anybody anyway. So you do, you do, it is a business and you have to be able to make ends meet. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like you've done, you created the whole community garden. That's your way of giving back and, you know, teaching people about nutrition and all of these things. So there, it doesn't have to be an either or, I guess is the point that we're both trying to make is we have to to the fact that, like you said, you know, love money, hate money, whatever, but it's a commodity. We, that's what we use in the modern day to value things and validate things. Be very clear in your mind, though, like you said, you know, you meditate on it, be very clear and separate out the two that you don't have, it doesn't have to be all of it, you know, or even maybe have a scholarship, you know, maybe you do give, take a few patients, 10 patients, you know, whatever, like do something that requires that inner work, like you said, and so that way you can balance out both, you know? Yeah, there's so many other ways to give, you know, again, we are so ashamed of creating a livelihood. We're so ashamed of, of, of taking um, because we're such givers. And it doesn't mean that you're just a taker. You can be a taker and a giver. Yes. You could be a giver and a taker. Yeah. And, and having that balance in your life is what's going to bring you ultimate joy. So in, just like you said, there's no restriction. You could go and work for Doctors Without Borders. You right. can donate your time at a local shelter. You can teach in schools, you can um, give back to nursing homes and communities. You could do free visits on Saturdays. Right. You know, there's so many ways to be creative. And if you have to have insurance because you're not sure about the, the payment model, that's okay too. Right. I mean, I I took insurance for you know 15 years. It's fine. That's that's sometimes what you need to do to serve in the way that you can best serve. So there's nothing. There's no right or wrong way. Right. You just find your way. Absolutely beautiful. Well, this has been amazing. I think we probably could have talked a few more hours. I, I have this with almost all my all my podcast guests. It's amazing, but uh, uh, and we probably have to have you back someday for season two. <laughs> but um, Jyoti, can you um, first of all let our audience know where they can find you online if anybody wants to reach out to you, learn more about you, and also if you could just leave the, leave our listeners with a few pieces of advice about basically about wellness and balance. Um, I would love to hear that. Yes, of course. So I can be reached via my website. My practice website is AIMS for Wellness, A-I-M-S-F-O-R-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com. And then I can, uh, you can follow me on social media on my handles, which is Jyoti Patel MD on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> all the usual. Yeah, TikTok's been interesting. Um, so, and, and okay, so as far as wellness, it's, it's not a state that you have to acquire. It's just a state of being. And so if you want to be healthy in your life, if you want to be happy in your life, start by looking at what isn't working for you and then slowly remove those things one at a time. And health doesn't have to be all at once. Take one or two things and start making small shifts to move towards your best self. And that can be in the realm of nutrition. That can be in the realm of sleep. That can be in the realm of movement. That can be in the realm of relationships, personal development, or finding your spiritual connection. Um, any of those places, any of those realms that you feel need a little bit more massaging through COVID in the last year, give yourself permission to move gently and slowly towards resolving those, those areas. So remember, it's one foot in front of the other um, and, and slow and goes it, 
make sure that you're taking good care of yourself, that you bring compassion back to yourself and understanding that you are moving as best as you can through life. I love that. So well said. Thank you again, Jyoti. Thank you so My much pleasure. for coming on. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I just love that you've created a practice that is working so well for you and still coming, you know, coming from this place in your heart of giving and serving and helping out your community and the patients who value and respect you for what you're doing. And that is a beautiful thing. So thank you. <laughs> thank you.